When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Leading Off with Drew Blue LA. I'm Eric Steven, and we decided to give you a uh, mailbag episode for July 4th. Um, so, yeah, we'll just get right into the questions. Thank you for everyone to everyone uh, who responded to our call uh, for questions, and we'll just get right into it. This is from Scott uh, in the comments. Um, are you, he says, are you confident Max Muncy, Cody Bellinger, and Justin Turner will collectively improve enough uh, to make an acquisition to boost the offense, uh, not a primary need? Or are you, like me, he says, concerned that they won't and the Dodgers will need to seek a starter to replace one or more of them in the lineup to shore up the offense? So I I think, uh, let's just get to where we're, we're at now with the lineup. I'm, um, I'm lumping in... Cody Bellinger in this discussion because Scott also asked about him and we'll talk about him in a second, but he's in the same boat, right? So, um, the Dodgers at the moment, they still have, um, you know, I would say a pretty regular lineup, uh, especially once Mookie Betts gets back, like, or at least regular starters, but they've been especially, um, adamant, uh, about, uh, letting, Muncie, Justin Turner, and Bellinger, to an extent, work out of uh, slumps. They're all three are below average offensively by WRC plus, by OPS plus. Um, Muncie's literally at the end of June was hitting 166. I know there's more to it than that, obviously, but uh, there's a lot of stuff going on. But just for to sort of get where we're at right now, so Muncie missed um, 13 games on the injured list with his elbow thing. He's also coming off elbow surgery, so he was active for 62 games. He started 56 of those. Uh, Justin Turner's been active and uh, healthy this year. For all 75 games through the end of June, he started 69 of those. Uh, nice. Um, Cody Bellinger was healthy uh, for 72 games. He, he had a stretch there where he had a left adductor strain on uh, when the Dodgers played the D-backs and Pirates, so he, he didn't, he sat out for three games. He ended up playing one of those in reserve, so I'm I'm counting him out as unavailable for those three games. So of the 72 games he was available, he started 67. So these guys are, you know, it's hard. You can't say everyday, everyday starters because the Dodgers literally have Trey Turner and Freddie Freeman starting every game. Um, so it's not like that, but it's close enough. Um, and I think it, it's they definitely um, need to acquire some sort of bat. I still think given, even with the, the sort of patchwork moves they've made recently, trading for Trace Thompson, calling up Jake Lamb. They first tried to call up Kevin Pillar before he got hurt. Um, they even had Stefan Romero up for a three, for three days and then sent him back to the minors. Um, those are all more stopgap type things. I definitely think the, 
the sort of theory still fits uh, that like if they could trade for like a, a right-handed hitting bat, preferably an outfielder, for lack of a better term, I know he's not necessarily producing this year, but like literally had they kept like AJ Pollock or someone in that role, um, that that's sort of a, a thing. And I think you could make it work even if it's someone like you don't need to trade for an everyday guy. Like I don't, I'm not even sure who's available to be honest. I'm just throwing this out there as a hypothetical, but like a right-handed hitting like corner outfielder, if someone can play center and is also a right-handed bat who's available, like I said, like, sure. Why not? But I think what you, what you want to do is create more flexibility in a couple ways. So Cody Bellinger, his best like asset, even when he's not hitting is his defense. So like he's in center field, that's fine. But, um, you could also uh, sit him against some lefties sometimes, like if you had like a deeper uh, bench and you acquired someone. There's also the factor factor of uh, Chris Taylor coming off elbow surgery. They didn't want to um, have him move back and forth between the outfield and the infield uh, to start the year uh, because it would be different arm angles and it would put more stress on the elbow. He's made a couple of really awesome throws from the outfield. He had a 96-mile-an-hour throw on uh, June 30th from right field to throw out Trent Grisham at the plate. Uh, so I, I don't, I'm not here to proclaim that his elbow is fully healthy. But as of yet, as through the end of June, Chris Taylor has yet to play the infield. He's played all outfield this year. So that's abnormal for him. You know, he's a six-position guy. Um, so I think if you get to a point soon where Chris Taylor um, can, can be infield, outfield, wherever you need him, that adds to the flexibility, and then you can just plug in your sort of new right-handed left fielder on most days, or, or even if it's just against lefties and some righties, and then you mix in everyone else. You, you have Gavin Lux, who can play second base and right and left field. You have, um, you know, like it allow it would it would allow you to rest um, Max Muncie against tough left, lefties more. It would allow you to rest Bellinger more if you wanted to, and then you could move Chris Taylor into like any of those positions. Like you could, in theory, also um, again without knowing who's out there. Like the fact that Muncie plays third um, and second, um, you know, if you wanted to like rest Justin Turner more, he's been DHing a lot anyway. But like you know, if you have if if you trade for like a third baseman or something. Um, you don't want to necessarily lock in Turner to DH, um, but like so that I think the the play still is going for an outfielder. But just um, for, on the need for Muncie and Bellinger, like we we or not Bellinger, oh uh, yeah, and Bellinger. I'm sorry, um, we saw last year with Bellinger, right? He's coming off uh, major shoulder surgery, never regained the power all year, right? Like it was a year long thing of him. Um, also, like, tampering with his swing, fi- trying to figure out what works. And then, um, I don't know, it, w- it was tough. So, like, he, we always sort of assumed um, the, f- the floor with him because of his defense was still a very good player. Didn't factor in the injury factor, right? Like, we saw the floor for him is much lower than we thought it was. It was a literally negative war player. Obviously, Cody Bellinger, like, um, made some adjustments by the playoffs. He had a good offensive playoffs, and he's still really good in center. So it wasn't um, – and, again, they were able to sort of um, win 106 games with him in center. But, like, maybe uh, 
had he been a tad more productive, they they don't lose the division by a game or something like that. So I think everything still counts. They're, they're not going to like like rest on their laurels. But I, I do think um, you're seeing that with Muncie this year with his elbow. Like the power loss was uh, evident with Bellinger. So like uh, Bellinger's isolated power, which is just slugging percentage minus uh, batting average, uh, in his first four seasons was 274. That's absurdly high. You know, obviously it's skewed a little by the MVP season, but also his rookie season. Both of those are over 300. Now, but even if you include the quote-unquote uh, normal Cody Bellinger years, uh, or, you know, depending on how you characterize it, quote-unquote bad, even though both were uh, above average offensively and excellent defensively, 2018-2020, those years he had over 200 isolated power. Last year was 137. This year, Cody Bellinger still hasn't quite got it back. He's he's at 182, so he could. There's still some power there for him to find. In addition to the mechanics of actually swinging, he's he uh, Cody Bellinger this year has a his career worst uh, strikeout rate, his career worst walk rate. So there's like a plate discipline issue in addition to can he regain the the, the power? Um, but with Muncie, um, he's obviously still walking. But his power has disappeared as well. Like um, So 2020 was a struggling year for him. He had, he had the broken pinky for a while that hampered him. And even then, he had a 197 isolated power. But his, um, including 2020, which was a shortened year, obviously. And he, he paid off in the playoffs for him. He, he was much better then. But uh, Muncie, over the last four years, had a 274 isolated power. So this year, he's at 131. That's falling off the table. The only Dodger... Like regular, who's lower is Gavin Lux, and that's not really his game. He's he's at 0.98, but he does a lot of other things, right? So Muncy's game is literally power and walks. Like that, that's what you have him for. So, and if he can't give you the power, you, I don't think you have to be as beholden to him being in the lineup all the time. And so, I I definitely think they're going to try to upgrade to a point where you don't have to. Um, it's not. I'm not saying give up on Muncy, right? Like. They have an option on on him for next year. It, it, they could very well pick that up and probably should if he's healthy, um, and then you try to reap the benefits from that regard. But um, it doesn't mean you have to play him every single day right now. So I think if they put themselves in a position where um, Muncy doesn't have to play every day, where D- Justin Turner doesn't have to play every day, where Cody Bellinger doesn't have to play every day, if they have the flexibility to sort of deal with that. Edwin Rios would be another sort of uh, obvious like left-handed DH option. He was hitting home runs. He had a terrible strikeout rate too, but he was at least getting the results with home runs. Um, he's an option. Um, so, uh, but not till August. So, like they definitely need to acquire an impact type bat, even if it's not an everyday type starter, someone who will play re- fairly regularly and at least give them the option to. Um, you know, not not play some of their their least productive regulars, and, and not to say that they won't improve, but like you know, you, you don't have to play them every day to have them improve either. So, yeah, there's going to be a point with that. I'm going to be interested to see who they pick up, but I, they they definitely will and should add an impact bat. Um, Scott's other question regarding Bellinger: What are your thoughts uh, regarding Bellinger being non-tendered and or dealt? So. Delt, I don't really see. Like, it would have to be. He still provides, like, excellent defense. When you have, like, Mookie Betts 
in the right field and Cody Bellinger in center. Um, that's a lot of fly balls getting tracked down. We've seen Mookie Betts' absence, like the what, how that's been felt. Like, you know, you could fill in for Cody Bellinger, but like it's it's better to have Chris Taylor on one of the other outfield spots than being in center and like carrying the load and then having, you know, like Gavin Lux, not, not necessarily the best outfielder and, 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 and like, it's just worse defensively. So like, I think he's, he certainly has value there. So I, I don't think he's going to be dealt in terms of non-tendered. So he has one year more year of arbitration after this year. So salaries never go down in arbitration. They just don't. Um, so he made $16.1 million last year had the terrible year, obviously injury affected. Um, but he got set, they settled his, uh, well before uh, they did it before the lockout, I guess. Um, but well before he could have gone to an arbitration hearing, but he got, um, 17 million this year. So it's going to be something like, like between 17 and 20 million for next year, which is a lot. And, but like, even if you factor in the defense, like, so he's, he, at the end of, um, June, is hitting uh, two, 209, 270, 391. That's pretty bad. It's an 86 WRC+. Plus. Factor in also, you know, offense is down generally across across baseball. So that's why that's not like a 70 WRC+, plus, which is what it might look in a normal year. So you have to sort of factor in that a little bit. That said, um, even with that, he, he's at uh, .9 Fangraphs War. The Dodgers are in, through 75 games. So he, he like... Where he's at now is like still a two-win player. If you go by Baseball Reference, he's already at um, 1.2 WAR or 1.3 WAR on the season. So he's like maybe a two and a half win player or something like that. Uh, that's someone I I think you it's worth putting up for um, settling for that type of production. Plus, he's going to be two years removed from the shoulder injury. Maybe some more of the power returns if it doesn't already returned in the second half this year. Um, and then, but the, the upside is if, if he gains any sort of like the transcendent power that he's shown at his peak, and he doesn't have to repeat 2019, obviously, but man, if he can be somewhere in the middle of like um, the, the even numbered years and the odd numbered years, uh, the first uh, two odd numbered years of his career, Something like that would be uh, very interesting. So, it being non-tendered is certainly I'm certain it'll be discussed, right? Like they have to consider it, but it it also there's a lot of season left, and it really depends what he does in the second half and how things shake out. Like if he sort of does what he did last year, even if he has sort of the same numbers as he has now, and then like does something in the playoffs, maybe they they're more swayed to bring him back again. But yeah, I think they'll consider it, but ultimately I think. Um, it, it's hard, like in the off season, like if he's, if you're at a point where you're considering non-tendering him, another team, it's going to be hard for another team to take on that kind of a contract. I think the Dodgers are more equipped to afford it, uh, especially being only a one year deal. So I do think the odds of Bellinger being on the Dodgers in 2023 are very high. Uh, we're going to take a break and we'll get back to the questions. Okay. Back to the questions here. Um, Reds on the trot in uh, the comments uh, said in light of Freddie Freeman firing his agents and the Dodgers clearly being his second choice is there any risk he agitates for a trade before his contract is up now 
keep in mind my well my my knee jerk reaction is no, <laughs> but like also six years of a contract is a long time. I think we're too <clears throat> we're too fresh from the sort of raw uh, emotions of the um, Atlanta return for Freeman and all the stuff that came out of that um, to to sort of sit here and properly like gauge any of that. I I think the the maybe the most overblown thing about all of this is that like Freeman somehow like damaged his standing within the Dodgers by his actions. Now the Kershaw statement aside, like that seemed like a fairly straightforward tongue in cheek, non abrasive way to tell Freeman like, Hey, you know, like maybe too far. Right. Like, but it wasn't like, Hey man, are you with us or what? It, it didn't seem like that to me again. I wasn't there. didn't hear it. Didn't see it. Um, but I think anyone with the, with the brain and two eyes knew from the jump that it was obvious Freddie Freeman wanted to be with the Braves. Like, uh, it it was shocking when the Braves didn't sign him. Right. So I think once the, the sort of severance happened when the talks broke down, however, they broke down in March and the Braves said, you know what, we're not signing you talks are off. We're trading for Matt Olson. That that ended the Braves part, right? And obviously not emotionally, because he still had to go through what he went through this last weekend with all the ceremony and stuff and, and um, things like that. But at that point, um, then he just went to, you know, find the best deal of everyone else, right? The Braves were out. So in terms of agitating for a trade, I still think he wants to be a Dodger, right? Like he... He signed with them. They're still an excellent team. They, they're probably going to still be intelligently run throughout the life of his contract, or most of it at least. Um, so it's hard to see that. And and also, his thing was he wanted to be with the Braves. The Braves already traded for Matt Olson and signed him to an eight-year deal. Like, he's never going to get what he wants if, it, if, if what he really wants is to be back in Atlanta, right? Let's game this out for a second. Like, if, if you think, like... Freddie Freeman just wants to be on the Braves like that ship has already sailed and I think that was part of what he was dealing with like in in the weekend in Atlanta and I maybe it was a rash decision to fire his agents although I guess that hasn't been confirmed he certainly has not stuck up for um Casey Close who responded to like two reports in two different days about how he definitely uh, relayed all the offers to Freddie Freeman and uh, all it would have, all it would take is Freeman to come out and say, you know, say one way or the other. So he's sort of letting him hang in the wind here. So perhaps that relationship's broken too. But in terms of the Dodgers, he's still with the Dodgers. So like, I don't think that that is really hurt. I just I just think this is ancillary stuff that was run off from the mar- the break in March. So. The Dodgers aren't going to play the Braves again until maybe October. Um, God, can you imagine the just the, the hype for that? Good Lord. Um, but no, I don't think there's a, uh, necessarily um, like a risk, especially this year, for like ready to agitate for a trade or even in the offseason. Like, and again, his preferred destination is the Braves. Like, if you if you believe that, like, still right. Um, he, that, that's done. They, they traded for Olsen. So like, it's just not feasible. So yeah, I'm not, um, not really, not really seeing that, but uh, I get where the question is coming from for sure. Now, 
multiple people asked this in some form or the other, and this has been going on for weeks, if not if not months. Um, so I'm only paraphrasing here. I apologize for not quoting someone directly. But if the Dodgers can't re-sign Trey Turner, will they trade him? I will say I, I'm, you know, not reporting anything here, obviously. Um, but I can, I will say absolutely not. Like, he is a key uh, part, an indispensable part of their lineup uh, on what currently has the best record in the National League, or um, at least when we're recording this. Um, and, you know, one that's very instrumental to their championship hopes for this year. Um, so, yeah, I they're, they're not going to be, like, at a point where they're like, you know what, we can't re-sign Trey, let's, let's get what we can for him, no way. Like, you know, another interesting thing about that, semi-related, is, uh, I forgot when the actual date is, but it's sometime in July, that if the players and owners can't agree on, like, the structure of an international draft, not that one's going to be in place right away, but um, if they cannot agree on the, at least on the, on the future implementation of the international draft by some point in July, then there's still going to be the um, qualifying offer. So if they can agree on an international draft, there's no qualifying offer. So I, it, it's not, it doesn't affect the Dodgers wanting to trade him because they're not going to trade him. But um, it, will, it would affect like whether they get compensation if he signs elsewhere this offseason. So um, yeah, I, I think he's going to be sort of in the same seat that Corey Seager was in. Robust shortstop market. I think the Dodgers will uh, make an offer, whether they go as aggressive as they did with Seager. Now, reportedly had an eight-year offer of like well over thirty million a year, but he he was he just took the the ten ten year deal with the Rangers, and it's really hard to blame him. Uh, it, it'll be you know in theory at least a more normal off season this winter because there's a CBA in place. Uh, there's not going to be a, a known pause coming up like there was last year when we saw a flurry of deals right before uh, uh, December 1st, which is when Corey Seager signed. Um, so you have a little more time to let like negotiations play out. But So I, I think they're going to be in on him. Now, how in on him they are, who knows? But I, I would say um, they at least have a shot to re-sign him. But yes, yeah, certainly not going to trade him. Um, but yeah, and then we'll, we'll see if, if the qualifying offer exists or not, whether they get uh, compensation if he signs elsewhere. Okay, uh, one more question that is not necessarily related to on-field stuff, but it's, it's a very interesting question. Mark from Twitter asked um, uh, specifically, where is the best place to take in a, a game at Dodger Stadium? I've been a few times, but I have not the notable disadvantage of being English. I'm coming over for the Giants series in September and just wondered what's the general opinion. So, uh, I will say, you know, having walked around the stadium a lot recently with, like, the new additions, I haven't sat in a number of the new stuff. So, I've heard the bullpen seats are pretty fun, like, just generally. And at least if you're on the bullpen seats, you can see, um, like, what's going on. There's obviously stuff behind it in the center field pavilion on, on both sides there, where there's, like, there's a there's bars where... You don't really have a, a direct view of the field, but there's obviously monitors everywhere. You can, like, obviously hear everything and see everything, but it's not quite the same. But, like, the, the bullpen seats that overlook the bullpen are, like, a kind of a cool view, and you can still see what's going on. Um, my favorite 
level, just generally, it, it's it's more of a mid-tier is the Loge. So field tickets are going to be expensive. The Giant Series is, is like a premium series. It's going to be... They're, it's going to be one of the more expensive tickets, especially for in September. But like um, lower um, reserved is is not like super high up, and you still get a pretty good view. But like loge level, it's the, the mid level, um, you know, between the field and the upper levels, uh, and it's it's a it's a small section. Um, the concourse can get a little crowded, um, even though. It is um, relatively small, but like the concourse is also small. So, um, but that said, like you could the the way it's set up now, you could still walk around the stadium from anywhere. So that's that's good. Um, but yeah, loge level is pretty great. Um, it, it's a, it's a generally a good view just about anywhere. If you are even if you're like tucked near like the foul uh, pole uh, in the loge level, that's pretty far down. That, that's probably the worst part of that section. But even then, um, you, you got a good view of the bullpen there too. So like, it, it's not the it's not the worst. But yeah, something something like um, it, along the baselines, uh, or maybe in short right field or left field area in on, in the loge, like look for something like that. Um, if uh, maybe people in the comments uh, will leave uh, descriptions too, and, and you can sort of go from there. But yeah, have a good time when you're out here. Um, thanks for uh, sending in questions, everybody, and we will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one.